Join us in a world where you're listening to Ballistic Radio. Sit back as we discuss hard-won lessons from the best and brightest that the personal defense and competition shooting industry has to offer. Let us help you help yourself, no matter where you are in your personal path. Ballistic Radio, brought to you by LuckyGunner.com and Federal Premium Ammunition. They paid for this, so you don't have to. Now here's your host, John Johnston. Welcome to Ballistic Radio, brought to you by LuckyGunner.com and Federal Premium Ammunition. They paid for this, so you don't have to. I'm your host, John Johnston. Remember, you can always listen to past shows at BallisticRadio.com and get the latest behind-the-scenes info, arguments, photos, videos, and other things at Facebook.com slash BallisticRadio. Hey, Joe. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. How long do you want me to get? I'm ready. Your inner SpongeBob is going crazy. Um, most days, most days. Well, and it's funny too, because my son is very, very much like SpongeBobby in nature, just, and I know that sounds weird, but just very, very positive about things that it just pisses me off that he's positive about. Like he'll do something, you know, wrong. Um, you know, it's the like, best day ever. Yeah. And then like 20 minutes later, it's like, it's completely gone and I'm still angry about it. And I'm like, Ugh. and then I'm like, oh yeah, I'm that way. I I oftentimes forget. So, but hey, guess what? What's that, John? This segment brought to you by Lucky Gunner and Federal Premium Ammunition. Whether there was a firefight or you do, in fact, want to worry about the little guy, you need more ammo. And when it's time to restock, you can't beat Federal Premium Ammunition on LuckyGunner.com. With a shipping department that's always moving at 88 miles per hour, if I order a case of American Eagle from Lucky Gunner on a Thursday, it's at my doorstep ready to shoot before the weekend starts. Head to LuckyGunner.com today to check out their in-stock lineup of federal premium ammunition. And remember, unless you're on fire or drowning or, I don't know, really tired and you've got to carry it, you can never really have too much ammo. So, super excited to have back on the show Larry Lindemann. Larry, how's it going, man? Good. How you doing, guys? Ah, can't complain even a little bit uh, because if I did... Well, you know, that'd just be a bad attitude, not helpful to anybody. So, no, there life's good. Go. Living, living the dream. Um, yeah. But I just want to say happy belated birthday. So, oh, thanks, brother. <laughs> Appreciate it. You're, you're yeah, like, a couple of days ago, my wife surprised me and, uh, with, a, with a trip to uh, uh, Florida. So I'm sitting, watching the beach right now, watching the ocean, just kind of chilling out, talking to you guys. Couldn't well, think of a better way. Well, man, that's uh, that's great to hear, dude. You're like what, 27, 28 now, something like that. Fast- mm-hmm. Yeah, right around there. Yeah, yeah, right around there. Times two. Yeah, you know. Um, so for those that don't know, uh, who who maybe missed your your last appearance, or um, you know, just they don't know, uh, who are you and what do you do? Cool. So, um, my name is Larry Lindemann. Uh, I started a martial arts journey back in the uh, back in the seventies, really, and um, it uh, it went through Filipino martial arts in the eighties with Dan Inasano, um, went through Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, um, and uh, and that martial journey uh, kind of uh, accumulated in in me deciding that that my degree in exercise physiology 
and my uh, my work at a hospital working on exercise testing for for basically healthy people was kind of uh, uh, not where I wanted to go. So so I ended up uh, signing up and for the Illinois State Police and worked 26 and three quarters years there. Uh, part of it, uh, really most of it, in investigation. Spent five and a half years in narcotics, uh, covert narcotics investigation. Spent uh, almost 10 years on our uh, SWAT team. Um, wrote our defensive tactics manual because of my uh, my background in martial arts. Uh, we were using Gravaga at the time, and uh, and we uh, uh, we sort of moved on from that. Um, got my black belt from Carlson Gracie uh, Jr. Uh, at about three years ago now, uh, almost three years to the date. Um, and uh, I am associated with a group of people that uh, that have been called the, the ShivWorks Collective. Uh, we basically teach the same thing. It's uh, uh, obviously Craig Douglas, um, Paul Sharp, Cecil Bursch, um, William April, and Chris Fry. And uh, we all share a philosophy, we share a teaching philosophy, um, and, uh, and we all sort of spread the word of, of, uh, of, of working against resistance, you know, working right. against actual live resistance with, with pistols and uh, with other tools. And we all started this journey, uh, obviously, a long time ago, but refined it as we, as, as we went on and saw more people go through through evolution, uh, you know, I remember the first time I worked with simulation was 1990 uh, through a revolver uh, in, in the application of SWAT, and it completely blew our minds. You know, we went from really not understanding why why we were doing the tactics we were doing to completely changing our tactics, and um, uh, and it, it, it became a completely different uh Different format of training, you know, training against this, this this realistic resistance, and that followed through with our uh, sport of combative arts like uh, boxing and Thai boxing, eventually MMA and uh, and Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and uh, and so we took that ethos of training against full resistance and brought it to the the gun world and said, okay, can can we do? Is there a way to do this? And you know, obviously Craig Douglas was the pioneer of that, and. Uh, and he pushed, uh, he's pushed the envelope. And I believe right now uh, we could say that for close quarter shooting, we have best practices, that, that we know what the best practices are. We're still, you know, maybe, maybe 10 years ago, maybe even eight years ago, we were still, uh, we were still discovering. Uh, but right now, you know, we're certainly open to, uh, to further insight. But right now I believe that we've pretty much developed best practices. No, I would I would – you know, and I, I certainly don't have the, um, I would, I would, I would not anywhere close to claim the authority to be able to, uh, <laughs> to, to say that I have the definite word on what anyone's doing or not doing. But like, I, I believe what you said to be true, um, for what my Thanks. opinion is Thanks worth, um, to, to anyone listening. Uh, I, in fact, I would. Cool. I would say that wholeheartedly, uh, without reservation, you know, um, for, yeah, I think, I think the way that we make believe, you know, I mean, people could argue, uh, little points or whatever, but, 
but when you're arguing without actually going through the material, when, when you come and you do the material, you'll learn. <laughs> so yeah. you'll, you'll kind of, I, I, you know, I, I was involved in CrossFit when that first came out way back in the day. And, um, and I, there, there was always arguments online about, does this work? Why does this work? Why doesn't this work? Why? And the answer is always in doing. The answer is always like, you could argue as much as you want, but come on over, take a class, and see what happens. Bring your best stuff, do whatever you want to do, and see what happens. And uh, that's the truth, and that's the truth with, with MMA and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And I was just looking at a, uh, an interesting old uh, video uh, today of uh, Joe Rogan, one of his, uh, some guy, this is how old it was, some guy on, uh, on MySpace, you know, challenged him, said he could come to his gym and kick his butt. So uh, uh, this guy came over, Rogan tapped him 15, 20 times. And I think Rogan was probably a, a purple or brown belt at the time. So so it's like, it's like all you got to do is, is, is take the class. And that's not, I don't mean this to be arrogant. I don't mean it to be, you know, to be a, a challenge to anybody. What I'm saying is, is that there's truth in, in, in the activity. Right. You know, you learn through doing. So, um, so I think it's, uh, it, you know, it's a, it's a pretty valid method, pretty robust method as well. Well, and so we only got about a minute and a half left in this segment, and we can talk about this a little bit more sure. uh, when we get back. But I, I think that, um, you know, I, I think that, you know, what you just said is like, hey, just come take the class, like, and you say, well, I don't mean to be arrogant, but there's a truth in doing it. It's like, no, you, you really need to to understand the the certainty with which you are speaking and to understand where it's coming from and not, you know, to, to really get it. It's like, you know, no, if you if you come and do this, you'll see. And, you know, where that's coming from is like, not only have you gone and done it, but like you've gone and done it a lot and then you've you've also had the benefit of observing a lot of other unrelated people from varying backgrounds, skill sets, attributes and things like that. You've seen them do it too. Um, And that's, that's something that I think is missed out a lot of times when like, especially when conversations happen online and people get like shitty with each other. uh, It's like, no, I'm, you know, not, I'm going to use the word I, and I'm not speaking about me, but um, like, I'm saying this for a reason, you know, um, and yeah. yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I've seen people improve drastically in two days, like yeah. literally with learning, learning wrestling techniques, applying them live against resistance and then working them against uh, a live resisting person who's trying to kick your butt. Um, it's, uh, uh, it, it's really informative to see that really imp- and it's been, you know, it's been years of iteration. Right. Let you me know, let it, me it, let it, me interrupt. Take, and I, I'm sorry yeah. to do it, Larry. Let me interrupt because yeah. we we do have to go to break, and then we'll 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 pick this yeah. right back up. Right now, we're talking with Larry Lindemann, and you're listening to Ballistic Radio. Welcome back to Ballistic Radio, brought to you by LuckyGunner.com and Federal Premium Ammunition. They paid for this, so you don't have to. This segment brought to you by Wilson Combat. Wilson Combat makers of the finest custom 1911s and scattergun since 1977. A legacy of quality, innovation, and service. Learn more about their firearms and accessories as well as the EDC X9L, which offers discriminating shooters, 1911 match-grade accuracy, superior ergonomics, and concealability with modern service pistol capacity and reliability at www.wilsoncombat.com. So, 
And I interrupted you, uh, but you you were you were saying um, before the break, like you've seen people drastically improve, like measurable improvement exactly. with very little exposure. Yep. Yep. Over a weekend. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I mean, I've also seen people fail and and ultimately two things happen when people fail in a, you know, and this has been a point of contention as well, that some people say that 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 you know there's there's some schools of thought that say that you should never fail in a training evolution and 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 what i've seen from uh from multiple people is failure has done either one of two things people either give up and you never see them again or people do a little bit of a self-analysis and say hey I, i need to train grappling or i need to get in shape you know i need to i need to start lifting weights and doing cardio yeah. So it exposes uh, it exposes weaknesses, and people who are of the mind and, and to to expose those weaknesses, um, eventually they become really good, yeah. and you know they come back and they'll they'll take an ECQC class as an audit of their skills to see um, to see how how they progress. And inevitably, we'll see people that come back actually physically changed people. You know, they go from maybe being overweight or out of shape to being in really good shape and having grappling skills. And now the year before, they were they were flailing around and ineffective, and now they're dominating other people. And it's really interesting to see in a very short period of time how people could take that failure and turn it into uh, – success. So I, you know, that's kind of the secret of this, this information is that, that it it is a, uh, it is a way to get better personally, individually. Uh, And not only, you know, it's not only just in combative applications, but by facing fears, you become better at life. So, uh, uh, you know, I think, I think the material is, if taken the right way, the material uh, it certainly has, has altered a, a bunch of people's lives. Well, and I can say, you know, um, um, so so of the collective, the only the only person I haven't spent a ton of time with is Chris, um, and I I keep wanting to make it to one of his classes, and it just hasn't ever worked out. But um, and I don't think I've directly trained with you. I've, I've been places where you've been helping, but I've not, yep. I've, not, I've not taken your class directly as well, but you and I have spoken at least a little bit more than, than Chris and I have spoken. Um, uh, but I can, I can genuinely say from, you know, uh, from, from my own, you know, teaching and, and one of, one of the biggest influences on me as someone that's trying to convey information, um, specifically to shooting, which is if I'm good at anything is the thing that I am good at, um, Mm. has been that concept of creating a situation where not only is failure a possibility, but failure is almost the goal and not as a gotcha thing, but as a, to really learn something well and to really improve at something well, you need to figure out where the failure points are so that you can work on it. And I, I think the thing that, you know, and, and, and that idea is not something I came up with. That idea is something that I saw you guys implementing and, and having a lot of success with it. 
Um, but I think I think creating that environment where, you know, hey, it's okay. You're probably going to fail at this, but that's to be expected. And, you know, we're going to help you through it. I think that's super important. Uh, and I think you guys do that masterfully well, you know. Yeah, appreciate it. I mean, that's 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 the point, right? It's 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 not that you're gonna fail. It's not that we're seeking failure. Uh, you know, it's not that we're necessarily pushing you until you fail. Yeah. Uh, more that we're 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 we're, and, and there's certainly times to do that, but more that we're we're creating in a competitive environment. And generally, when a combat when when you have a competitive environment, um, best practices come out. You know, I mean, shooting changed drastically. I got to see it change, you know, in the 80s and 90s when when um, when people started getting paid for being shooters. Yeah. You know, so the second that you could get sponsorships and make money and it, it drives innovation, it drives uh, it drives best practices. And so now, you know, you went from from literally in the 70s and the 80s, you went from anybody, you know, any technique was considered to be valid. If you did Weaver, you were, yeah, great, awesome. If you were bullseye shooting with your hand in your pocket, oh yeah, that's that's completely effective. And now that's completely changed. When you look at at, at pictures of of competent shooters, they're all using basically the same technique. There's little tweaks here and there, you know, for for uh, uh, for the way that their you know their body is set up. But ultimately, they're all using similar technique, and that t- technique has been boiled through competition to come out hey this is the best way to 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 shoot a gun and and the same things happen with fighting by the way yeah through mma so so we sort of have the answers it's just a matter you know of of for us putting those answers together taking that shooting equation and then that grappling you know fighting equation and putting those two things together in in a in a comprehensive way that's contextualized which is which is the other piece that william brings to the table and, you know, that, that whole portion of managing unknown contacts, uh, you know, that we all teach, uh, usually it's the first thing we teach because, because we have to contextualize the information. How do these attacks occur? If we don't understand that, then it's really hard to understand what we're going to do next if we, don't, if we don't contextualize what's happening. Right. Well, and something else, too, and then I, I want to specifically talk about um, some coursework that yep. you're doing that I'm, I'm crazy, crazy stupid interested in, in right now. Um, but, uh, you know, as people are, will talk about like, you know, competitive shooting or MMA or something like that. And it, it, you know, people are like, well, that's not real life and blah, blah, blah. And like something, something that I think people are missing. Right. Um, I was watching a video from the early nineties. I want to say, uh, the nineties, it might've been yeah, maybe the late eighties. It doesn't matter. But it was back when competitive shooting was still uh, televised and, like, televised on ESPN. And they were talking about Robbie Latham. And they said something that that is crazy to me now just based off of, like, how the world has changed, you know, and how, um, you know, how guns have, while we've made many strides, uh, and they are mainstream in a lot of ways. There are certain ways they're not mainstream. But they were talking about Robbie Latham and shooting for Team Springfield. And they said, and Robbie was just signed to the first million-dollar contract for yeah. shooting for Team yeah. Springfield. And, yeah. and and I'm going somewhere with this, I promise. 
Um, yeah. Million dollars, you know, and a million dollars in late 80s, early 90s money. Yeah, that was real money back then. Well, it's real money now, right? Like, yeah. if you told me I was going to do something and a million bucks was on the line, I'm probably taking yeah. that more seriously even than I'm taking someone trying to kill me. And I know that sounds weird, but, like, I've got more time to think about it. You know what I mean? Yep. And and that's the yep. other thing, too, with, like, MMA and mixed martial arts and stuff. Well, that's, you know, that's not real life. And I'm like, if I told anybody that was saying that, that, hey, you're going to go in and, like, there's 10 million bucks. Like, that's – if you if you win, you get that. How seriously are you taking that? Like, what's the motivation hey, how, there, you know? How about this? I mean, let's not even say 10 million bucks. Let's say you're getting your hands taped up because this happened to me. I'm getting my hands taped up. My hands are on the back of a chair. I'm getting taped up for an MMA fight. And the guy two fights before me comes in with a huge gash on his head. Like, I mean, you could see the bone in his forehead. And I look up at him, and I'm like, holy crap. I'm going in that cage, like, in three, four, five minutes. And this guy just came out and, you know, got like a huge get I mean, life altering. So, I mean, just going into that cage, you know, the, the chances are, you know, there is a chance that you could get killed. Yeah. Very low chance, but there's a chance, but there's, you know, there's a, a decent chance that you're going to get injured in some way, shape or form. And you're voluntarily putting yourself into that situation. Yeah. So, uh, you know, so when somebody says, Oh, these competitive things aren't real, you know, you get killed in the streets type of thing. Well, my challenge to them is go and compete and tell me how that feels. Right. Go compete in a weekend shooting match and tell me how you feel. Tell me if you're, you're getting that adrenaline dump right before they, uh, uh, they tell you to go. And uh, if you can't perform in that arena, then you're certainly not going to comp- comp- uh, be able to perform when your life is on the line. Yeah. Um, we got to go to break and then we'll talk about that a little bit more. Um, and I promise we'll get to the thing that I originally told you we were going to talk about. Uh, right now we're talking with Larry Lindemann. You're listening to Ballistic Radio. Welcome back to Ballistic Radio, brought to you by LuckyGunner.com and Federal Premium Ammunition. They paid for this, so you don't have to. This segment brought to you by BigTexOutdoors.com. BigTexOutdoors.com is the best place for you to find all your everyday carry needs at the absolute best prices. Maybe you need all the lumens from Surefire at the lowest price? No problem. Spend too much time alone in your room and you need an RMR on your carry pistol now? Well, BigTexOutdoors.com has those. Glock accessories? Yes. Fast, cheap shipping. 100% hassle-free returns. All that and more. And best of all, BigTexOutdoors.com has Ike. He's a good man and thorough. I like Ike. Everybody likes Ike. And you'll like Ike, too. Visit BigTexOutdoors.com today and find out what happens when every customer is a friend, not just an order. Um, you were talking about, you know, the the competing and the the sort yep. of adrenaline dump. And when when whenever you are, um, I guess, testing yourself against other people and just that seems very real. And it has the, you know, I don't. I would actually say positive side effect of that is you've got more time to sit in it beforehand, which for most people, I can't speak for everyone, but at least for me, 
uh, historically makes it worse, which I think is a good thing. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, you've got a lot of time to, you know, um, think about what's about to happen and, and, you know, have conversations with whatever demons you've got rolling around in your head. Uh, Whereas, you know, and I I certainly don't have the background or experience with violence that you you have. Um, But, you know, the violent encounters that I have been uh, (laughs) unwilling participant in, um, I didn't really get that ahead of time. It was just like, oh, I'm in this now. I better I better do something about it. And there there certainly wasn't yeah. that build up, you know. Yeah, I mean, there's you know there there's there's something to be said for for having real world experience, which which uh, which desensitizes you to human violence, you know. So the more times you're exposed to it, the 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 calmer you are, the faster you see it happening. Uh, so there's there's something to be said about being exposed to human violence. Now, obviously, as a civilian, that's a really hard thing to do. Is in the military and in, in you know in police, it's it's pretty much a a common event. You know, it's something that that sort of defines the work. But um, but as a civilian, that's the hardest thing to do. The hardest thing for us to teach is verbal agility under stress to civilians. Cops do that really well because every time they show up on a call, there's chaos. Now, cops aren't great shooters, and frankly, they're not great fighters. But um, I think what saves the day a lot is the fact that they're so desensitized to that that human violence that they're able to think clearly when other people start to fog up. Yeah. And so that experience allows them to translate that into uh, effective uh, stra- uh, strategy. So they could de-escalate or, or do things that a civilian would have a hard time to do because the first time somebody's screaming at you from, you know, three inches away, uh, is not the time to say, okay, now I, now I, now I need to deploy my my whatever I trained at and whatever I competed at. So I think that there's you know there's something to be said for drilling uh, and training and then uh, applying that in a competitive environment and then taking real world experience and filtering that through real world experience and then having some sort of a feedback loop where you could go, okay, I did really well with this. This is something I need to work on. And then, you know, your, your, your ultimate uh, test is that real-world experience. So, you know, you keep on filtering it, keep on filtering it, uh, and then do it without an ego so that you're not, uh, you know, you're not saying, well, I'm the best, I survived, therefore my technique is the best. And we get that a lot, um, you know, just because the, the bad guy decided not to fight that day uh, your your uh, your tactics were valid, but that's just not true. So how do we test that? Well, we test that in a competitive environment where somebody is going to fight back, and and uh, and then we we keep on working that feedback feedback loop, and that's how we really come up with with best practices, and that's an ongoing evolution. But right. Um, so let me ask you this, and um, so a class that you're you're teaching now uh, in a, a if I get the, the title wrong, I apologize, and please correct me. Um, so Saps and Jacks. Um, yeah. Which, which Depending on the laws of your state, it could be called something different. Right. Like small impact weapon. Right. But basically, you are absolutely correct. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I guess um, what is, for those that don't know, we're talking about um, 
and, and I'll let you get into it, but but essentially yeah. small impact devices um, that used to be incredibly popular, at least in police culture, um, and have fallen out of favor. At least my perception is they've fallen out of favor yeah. um, inside the last... I, I feel like the 80s. I feel like the 80s, they were moved away from a little bit. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I, I'd, I'd like to like to hear what you think. Definitely the 90s. Definitely this millennia. Um, and I yeah. guess, what is their role in all of this? And, you know, why why are you teaching a class on it? Tell, tell me about it. So, so um, you know, everything we talked about beforehand uh, – is is relevant to this class because because just because the tool changes doesn't mean everything else changes so so the same skills in uh in fight weapons access you know you're in the middle of a fight you don't have the tool in your hand how do you get to it all those same rules apply or the tool is pre-deployed how do you pre-deploy it um and then how do you use it from a from a little bit of a distance so a SAP and a JAC. So SAPs. The, so the last study on SAPs that was done with uh, police departments um, in 1994 found that only 8.8 percent of police departments allow the carry of a SAP or a JAC. Um, it really had its heydays from really the 30s all the way up through the late 60s, maybe into the 70s, and then started to die down after that. Uh, there are basically three. Uh, three methods of teaching uh, that's happened Jack before modern times. Uh, and they were uh, the LAM method, the LAPD method, and the Cook method. So there were three, and, and I believe there's still books on all three of these, and I have them and, and read them, and they're, they're very 1950s, 1940s, 1960s type of instructional manuals. Uh, and uh, they look like 1950s, 1940s instructional manuals. Um, and they're certainly not contextual. Um, really, uh, the, you know, we, there's very little written history on SAPs and JACs uh, because they were considered a criminal uh, tool. Uh, they were used, the best kind of knowledge that people have is that, that, that maybe it started in, 16, 1500s with, with training weapons that were filled with sand uh, and then sort of progressed with, uh, with sailors using kind of an impact hammer that was filled with sand. It was an eel skin filled with sand. And uh, because they were using uh, pegs in the sails, they didn't want to split the wood. So they were using this as kind of an impact hammer that would, would dull the impact. And, of course, then they used that... Uh, they use that as uh, as a tool for fighting, and then obviously that that followed them to shore. And now we've got these sand-filled instruments or lead-filled instruments that that uh, provide a uh, an impact that's way bigger than their uh, their size profile. Uh, so sap or a jack, either or, uh, is a flexible shaft weapon. Uh, the sap is flatter. Uh, actually, uh, a flat sap really started to be developed in the 50s and 60s, where it was uh, it could be fit in a pocket uh, more for police. Saps, as we as we kind of understand them, are a composite, usually made out of leather, a little bit rounder. Uh, the blackjack is a flexible shaft weapon that uh, generally has a weighted head, 
and the uh, the body of it is round, uh, so it's like a small uh, stick, but uh, it could have a cable or a spring, and so it provides a, 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 a pretty solid impact. They're a little bit harder to carry because they're round, so they don't really fit in the back pocket really well. So basically, if you if you look at people carrying these impact devices, you're going to see them carrying flat saps now um, more more commonly than any other type of uh, any other type of device. Okay, um, we got to go to break, and then we'll we'll get a little bit more into it. Uh, right now, we're talking with Larry Lindemann. You're listening to Ballistic Radio. Welcome back to Ballistic Radio, brought to you by LuckyGunner.com and Federal Premium Ammunition. They paid for this, so you don't have to. Uh, we're talking with Larry Lindemann, and we're, we're finally on to what I originally said the topic was going to be. Um, and and you were sort of explaining the differences between um, the the tools. Uh, where do they fit in in, in the modern-day self-defense paradigm as far as, you know, sure. what— why? Why one of these? So, so there's a couple of interesting reasons why, and 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 one of them is that that you know ECQC is designed to teach, you know, extremely close quarter concepts is designed to teach uh, deploying a firearm at extremely close range. When we think that through for a second, the solution is not always to deploy a firearm yeah. or a knife. So both are, you know, prima facie deadly force. You pull a knife in the middle of a, of a, a fight and you are deploying deadly force. At some point, um, we're going to be in, in situations that the answer is not to deploy a, a tool that is uh, used for deadly force. So what, what are we going to deploy? Well, well, you can use your empty hands. You can use your boxing or your grappling or your wrestling and uh, perhaps uh, choke somebody unconscious. But ultimately, um, we have very few devices we can use, especially at close range. It's very hard for us to deploy pepper spray at close range. If we do that, you know, certainly we're going to contaminate ourselves. So, and pepper spray is not always effective. Um, getting hit with a, one of the things I do in, in a class is I actually have, you know, I pass on a bunch of saps and jacks and I have people kind of hit their arms or legs. Um, and I have to do it to themselves because if you just let somebody else do it, <laughs> you're going to have injuries. Uh, it, it is, uh, uh, it, it's, it's, you will feel that impact with a very mild hit. Um, the targets that we're aiming for, collarbones, uh, generally we're not aiming for the head because uh, it, it's more of a deadly force situation that we would transition to the head. But collarbones, ribcage, legs, um, the uh, the stu- you know the stomach, and these areas that we're we're aiming for, um, we're going we're going to uh, produce an immediate effect. Um, if I could take uh, I, there's no guarantee that if I, if if a trained boxer hits you, that you're going to go unconscious, or that you're even going to be affected. Specifically, if you if you're able to cover and, but if you get hit with a sap anywhere on your body, if you get hit with a sap hard, 
uh, you are absolutely going to, uh, it's going to affect your effectiveness in fighting. Um, so it's, it's a pretty devastating tool. Um, and it, it's, you know, it, it's certainly explainable that it's not a, uh, a, not a deadly force instrument. So that's sort of where it fits in, in line with, with, uh, you know, our teachings. Right. Well, and, and to be clear, so, and you sort of touched on this, but, um, if misapplied, could it kill someone? Yes, but that's not its intention, and that's an important distinction, Correct. right? Correct. Exactly. So, so it's it would be extremely impossible for me to explain that I'm not deploying an instrument of deadly force if I deploy a knife or a a gun. Yeah, a sap is not, you know, it, it's not by definition a an instrument of deadly force. The way that I use it certainly could. Could uh, could could that imply deadly force? But if I'm using it in areas that are not you know not the head, um, clearly I could uh, uh, you know I could I could make an argument that it's it wasn't intended for deadly force. Right. Um, so as far as is you know, and and you sort of touched on this too. Now there's not as they're not as widely accepted from a legality standpoint as something to carry, which strikes me as funny. Like I can, I can carry a gun that's legal. I can't carry one of these. It's illegal. You know, exactly. Uh, uh, but, and that depends on your, your localities and stuff like that. But for, for everyday people, um, how, how easy are they to effectively deploy and implement? Yeah, I mean they're extremely easy to deploy and implement. So the deployment part, you know, the the the. So when you think through what the Shivers Collective teaches, generally, um, generally we're teaching access to a tool at extremely close ranges, with the understanding that people don't want to get shot, stabbed, or hit. So they're going to actually do something to stop you from deploying that tool. So if you're close to somebody and you reach for your waist waistline or you reach for your back pocket, they're going to use some sort of force to stop you from doing that. So so what we essentially teach is, is wrestling to get to a position of dominance and then deploy the tool. So the difference is that in a knife, I need a very brief window of opportunity to be able to deploy and use that knife. That knife is going to be effective with – uh, you know, if I have an inch of space that I could draw the knife from a uh, a sheath or get the knife out of a pocket and open it, if I have that very brief window of time, I could deploy that knife. And even at close ranges, that knife's going to be effective. If I could get that firearm, now a firearm's a little bit more difficult because I have to actually draw it out and then get it to a position where I'm not going to shoot myself or other innocent people. I'm not going to shoot myself in the hand. I'm not going to shoot myself in the leg. And I'm going to be able to be effective at putting rounds on somebody. So that's a little bit different. There's a longer window of time. With a SAP or a jack, I need enough time to deploy that uh, that weapon and then get at least one effective hit in. And so I don't want to swing wildly with it. I don't want to bring my arm back so that I'm exposing, uh, you know, myself to potential counters like underhooks and everything. The other thing with a sap that people don't really realize is that if I want to, or don't think about it, is that if I want to 
if I want to uh, transition to a handgun, I can throw that sap on the ground, and it's very unlikely that somebody's going to be able to use that against me. Whereas, obviously, if, if, if I misread a situation and I, I draw a firearm, and I challenge somebody, it turns out it's not a deadly force situation, but it ends up in a situation where I might have to grapple. I'm in a, I'm, I'm, I've got a big problem because I've got a firearm that I can't just lay down or throw away or throw down because, you know, somebody certainly could deploy that. Same thing with a knife. A knife is, it's pretty easy to understand what a knife does. Mm-hmm. So, but with a sap, you know, first of all, they have to get close to you. Second of all, it's not, you know, if, if somebody saw it, they can sort of figure it out, but, but they don't initially know what that's for. So I could, I could toss that down and draw a firearm and, uh, and transition fairly quickly, whereas with these other tools, once I have them out, the safest plan for me in a close quarters type of situation would be for me to reholster. And for me to do that takes time, energy, takes my, my focus and my hands away from protecting my body. So the SAP has, you know, the, the impact tool has ways that you could use it where you could, if it's in your hand, you could escalate to deadly force or you could de-escalate to, uh, to non-deadly force or you could just throw the thing away and, and uh, uh, transition to another tool, if that makes sense. No, it does. Um, as far as the, you know, we don't have a ton of time left in the show, but as far as you were talking about... Um, uh, deployment envelopes uh, from the perspective of ti- yep. time and distance and space required um, specifically to tools. The knife is going to be the easiest and quickest, I assume. Uh, please correct me if I'm wrong. Um, the firearm yeah, no, is the right. most difficult and longest. Does the sap fit somewhere right. in the middle? Yeah, I think it fits in the middle. Um because I could deploy, I could actually use it as a stabbing tool. So it's a non-lethal stabbing tool. So I could literally use the same exact motion that I would with a knife, but now I'm using the edge of an impact weapon or the butt of a a lead um, a lead shaft that I could drive into somebody's groin or drive into somebody's rib cage, and it's going to create it's going to create a much greater impact than I would be able to generate with my body. So in other words, if I tried to throw an uppercut in a dirty boxing type of situation where I was, I was extremely close to somebody and my limbs were, you know, somebody was trying to tie my limbs up, it would be very difficult for me to get an effective hit. Whereas when I take a, you know, a four, five, six ounce piece of lead uh, and I, I drive that into somebody, I, I'm going to get a much more of a, uh, uh, an effect because of the surface area is so small it's going to be much more effective. If that makes sense to you. No, it does. And you've also got the benefit of, you know, even if I would have presumed, even if you were just throwing punches, you've got a weighted fist versus an unweighted fist. Exactly. Right. Yep. So, um, so even if I were just, just had it in my hand, it could be used as a, as a hand weight, even if I were just to do that. Um, also I could wrestle with it in my hand. Um, uh, wrestling with a gun is extremely hard to do. I ha- obviously, I have to keep the gun at some sort of retention position, and now I only have one arm that I can use to fend off uh, somebody's strikes or grappling attempts. Whereas with a sap, I can still have it in my hand, uh, but I could, you know, I'm, I'm using my hand more like a club 
rather than a, a you know a tool that I could grab onto things, but I could still effectively grapple, punch, you know, use my other tool, use my other tools, um, my other grappling tools, and get to a position where I could I could use that effectively, or break away and maybe uh, transition to another tool. Right. Well, Matt, we're at the end of the show. Uh, it went super quick. If people want to train with you or your compatriots, um, how do they do that? Yeah, probably the best way is to look up each of us individually uh, or go through ShivWorks' uh, website. I have a class coming up, oddly enough, in uh, Dallas, Texas, with Steve Moses um, on uh, December 7th and 8th. So whatever that Saturday and Sunday is, it might be the 8th and 9th. But the, for the first time, uh, I'll be teaching a t- the teaching method. So I'll be on Sunday... I'm going to be going through how how would you instruct material this material, and uh, this is kind of a first time that we've done this type of thing. So uh, it should be a really interesting class. Um, first day is all saps and jacks, uh, contextualizing muck and uh, and then using wrestling for deployment, and then you know using a sap or jack at distance. And then the second day is is how how would you instruct this? What's the What's the method behind the madness type of thing? Yeah, dude, that um, like I said, man, uh, it's it's definitely on my short list of of stuff that I'd like to be exposed to, just because I don't I don't know really anything at all about it, um, aside from yeah, you know, just not not much beyond a layperson's understanding. So it's really really interesting. I'm really excited that you're doing it, um, and I, you know. I, I hope that more people start thinking about it and uh, consider if and how to incorporate um, that into their, you know, their personal defense paradigm. Um, and so, yeah, man. Uh, thanks for coming on the show, dude. I, I really, really appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. Anytime. Uh, I always have a good time doing it. Great. Oh, well, hey, be safe, man. I'm sure I'll talk to you soon. So... Make sure you check out our website, BallisticRadio.com. Like our Facebook page at Facebook.com slash BallisticRadio. And hey, keep leaving those five-star reviews on iTunes. It really helps us out, and we appreciate it. Thanks for listening, everyone. As always, be safe. See you next week.